Welcome to the Caring for EOE podcast, where we'll navigate eosinophilic esophagitis together. From diagnosis to daily living, feelings to finances, and restrictions to recipes, let's create a community that cares for EOE. Hi, my name is Susie, and thanks for joining us for the first episode of the Caring for EOE podcast. I have a lot of roles in life. I'm the mother to two beautiful children, the wife of an incredibly talented artist, the daughter and daughter-in-law to four amazingly supportive people, and a consultant to some of the best clients I could hope to work with. And I'm the caregiver to someone with eosinophilic esophagitis. Before I go too far, let me explain a little bit about eosinophilic esophagitis. It's an inflammation of the esophagus, usually triggered by food. It's caused by the presence of eosinophils, which are white blood cells that do exist in the body and have its rightful place, just not in the esophagus. When they find their way there, it causes inflammation, which results in pain, vomiting, impactions, and other challenging symptoms. I'm not even the right one to talk about the symptoms because I don't have it myself, but I have watched my son experience some of them. There's currently no cure for EOE and a lot of questions about what causes it in the first place. It isn't something that will go away or be outgrown. It's a diagnosis that ultimately alters your life. While it can be controlled in some cases through diet or medication, There's not a lot known about the long-term effects of having EOE or of taking this medication on a regular basis. It does require a lot of lifestyle modifications. When I was younger, my dad would joke that he knew I wouldn't grow up to be a doctor or a nurse because I'd faint at the sight of blood. And it didn't even have to be my own blood. Sure enough, I went on to get a degree in psychology and management and pursued a career in business. The fact that I'm doing a podcast today about a phrase that I could barely say is pretty much blowing my mind. So given that, I'm clearly not an expert in EOE. In fact, I feel like I've been feeling my way in the dark. And that's a large part why I wanted to start this podcast. I need a little help, and if along the way I can help others, then that's even better. Our story began about a year ago. If you took a snapshot of our family back then, and you took another one today, not a lot would look different. The kids are older, of course, and if you knew me and the story, you'd know that I changed careers. But otherwise, everything looks pretty similar. However, for me, I feel like a lot has changed. And with these changes has come a range of emotions. Admittedly, I've stumbled through this last year. I felt like we were in survival mode, and I struggled. Um, I've been overwhelmed. I've been overwhelmed by new terminology and by needing to change things that we did on a habitual basis. 
I've had to examine and question a lot of the things that we do in our lives to see how that I can better support my son. Along that way, I lost sight of the anchors that I do have in our lives. And I let myself get caught up in the feelings of overwhelm and the grief at the loss of some of the things that I thought would come with a happy, healthy family. And we are very much a happy family, and we also will be a healthy family. It just looks different than I thought it would. You know, the ease of ordering a pizza on a Saturday night or dashing out the door and figuring out what you'll eat along the way. I do recognize that we have so much in our lives, and a year into this, I have much better perspective than I did when we first started. Perhaps that perspective can help someone who just received this diagnosis as well. So let's go back to that time a year ago. Tyler, my son, was seven months old at the time, and it was peanut butter Saturday. We had been given the go-ahead from the doctor to start to introduce um, foods that were allergenic to our son because that's now the way that they, the guidelines that they give in order to help kids hopefully um, get exposed to allergens and not, not um, suffer fr- from allergies. He, we gave him a lick of the spoon, and he clearly enjoyed it. And then my daughter and my husband went off to the park on a beautiful day. A few hours later, I was there with my son, who is experiencing a full-on anaphylactic reaction. I was thrown into a world that I never expected. I had known other families with allergies, but never imagined that we'd become one of them. It was the scariest day I've ever experienced as a mom. After getting him to the care, get the care that he needed, we started to learn a lot about what it meant to have food allergies. And it was hard for me to continue to introduce new foods because I just didn't want to go through that again. And eventually I started to get more daring. And when he turned nine months, it was time to give him some other food to try. What do you give a kid with a peanut allergy? Sun butter. Sure enough, he ended up having the same reaction that he did to the peanut butter. And this time, my then three-year-old daughter was there, and she saw it all unfold. My husband and I knew what to do. We brought out his EpiPen and administered it and called, the, called 911. And when you hear nine-month-old baby with an anaphylactic food allergy, they send the cavalry. So down our street came... Uh, I think it was a fire truck, two ambulances, and a police car, and all the neighbors came out. Tyler got the care that he needed, and coming home from the hospital, I realized just how much the event had impacted our daughter. She had a lot of questions, and we talked about that moment over and over to help her get through it. We talked about how it wasn't anybody's fault, and that Tyler has um, a condition where if he has certain foods, his body doesn't like it. And we talked about how lucky we were that we had the medicine and the care and the, and the services that we needed. 
But man, I tell you, I did not want to have to keep talking about that day. It really taught me just how much Tyler's diagnosis was really a family diagnosis. We continued to learn more about his allergies and discovered that he also had milk and egg allergies. So the second story that I've had to revisit about myself is the one of not being a baker. I'm not even really a good cook. His first birthday was nearing, and it was time to figure out how to make a cake for him. So I turned to all the advice on Facebook and Pinterest, and I found the wacky cake and made a smash cake just for Tyler so we could have that seminal moment and um, enjoy his first birthday. So family and friends came, and they gathered around, and we were singing him happy birthday and let him have at his cake. A few bites into it, he ended up vomiting all over it. It's humorous only not, but at the time, I had no idea that that would be just the beginning. As the weeks went on, he started vomiting more frequently. October was the worst of it. It ended up being every meal for three weeks. And it was scary and alarming, and I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know if it was a virus from daycare or something else that was going on. And I kept trying to get people to pay attention. I felt like I needed to advocate and push and get him in to see different specialists and watch his weight like a hawk. We went to feeding specialists and GI doctors and allergists, and in one month between my two kids, we had 19 appointments. I was scared and confused and overloaded on information. We were finally able to get to the doctors at Mass General Hospital in Boston, where we live. And thank goodness for his doctors. While the medical jargon seemed to increase, they also made it a lot easier for me to understand what could be happening. And in those early visits with them, we ran through the list of possibilities about what could be at the heart of Tyler's vomiting. On the list was eosinophilic esophagitis. And funny enough, I had heard about it and just prayed that that was not going to be our diagnosis. His vomiting continued through Thanksgiving, and then it seemed to subside. And through the holidays, there wasn't any. And I thought to myself, well, great, then maybe he doesn't have it. And maybe that was just a fluke or a virus or something else. And then January came, and so did the vomiting. We, working with his doctors, we finally decided that it would be a good thing to have him undergo an endoscopy. And through that procedure, we did confirm that he had eosinophilic esophagitis. And if I thought I was overwhelmed before that time, I now know what overwhelmed felt like. I started researching and reading and getting all the information I could. And at times I felt like there just wasn't enough and I didn't know who to reach out to, and I couldn't seem to figure out what to do first or next. 
in a subsequent visit, we decided that we wanted to cut out even more foods. And so now we were up to six things that he, he can't eat. I remember standing in the grocery store, staring at the cracker options and feeling lost. Was I seriously going to have to make crackers? And I just might need to. And there are days when I think, I've got this. I can do that. I can help Tyler in ways that I'm meant to help him, and I feel motivated and capable. And then there are other days where I feel completely ill-equipped, especially when it comes to making the decisions about what to do for Tyler and his EOE. With every doctor's visit comes information and then ultimately a choice for what my husband and I want to do about it. Do we put him on medicine? Do we not? Do we restrict his diet? Do we not? Do we undergo another endoscopy? Do we wait? I'm not even sure we've done the right thing to this point, and I'm not positive that we'll know exactly what to do next. But I do know that there are other people out there who have been through this and are going through it, and I have a feeling we can help each other. We've got a year in our rearview mirror and a lifetime ahead of us to help Tyler navigate what it means to live with eosinophilic esophagitis. I know that it means having any snack he might want to have on hand before we dash out the door and going to birthday parties prepared with his own food and helping him understand why he doesn't get to have the pizza or the cake that everyone else gets. It's also kind of strange because it's an invisible diagnosis. If you look at Tyler, he's the happiest little guy. And so people don't know to ask, hey, how are you doing? Or what's going on with Tyler these days? And because of that, it's been a little bit hard to find our tribe around this. And that's not to say our family and friends haven't been incredibly supportive. It's just a really hard concept to comprehend. There are lots of people out there who are already caring for EOE, and I'd like to get to know you better. Whether you're a doctor or a nurse, a therapist, a blogger, a researcher, or a cheerleader to the caregivers, to the patients, everyone is playing a role and has a story to tell. As our story unfolds, I'm hoping we could do it together. I'm hoping you could possibly help me figure out who are we now as a family with this diagnosis and what's the vision that we have for our future and how do we make that a reality in our daily lives. So I'd love to hear from you and to learn about your story and your tips and tricks would be amazing as well. So feel free to reach out to caringforeoe at gmail.com and let's get the conversation started.